0: And I think the reason why as human beings we prefer systems goes back to what we inherited in the garden and the fall that we were never meant to possess, and that is knowledge. Yeah. So we inherited the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of this fruit, you can become like God. Well, I like a system because then I'm in control. Yes. God, I like religion because I've got a ladder to climb. I can determine what is right and wrong, what is good and evil, versus religion, I mean, versus relationship and Savior. It's one of surrender. It's one of, I'm no longer God, He is.
1: Hello and welcome to the Follower Podcast, a place for honest conversations about following Jesus to the depths of his heart and the ends of the earth. I'm your host, Matthew Lewis, and I'm so glad that you have joined us. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Follower Podcast. Uh, in our, I don't know what to call it, it's not quite a series. We're just having a few conversations that'll point you in the right direction, hopefully, a better direction maybe for this year, so that by the time we get to the end of 2024, you're a little bit healthier and more whole than you were at the end of 2023. Uh, last week we had Pete Portal speaking all about how to be unsuccessful, uh, which is a really great conversation. And this week we have uh, Mads Daisel Welcome to the podcast, Mads.
0: Thanks, Matthew. Really excited to be here and uh, stoked to be able to just share and uh, have a conversation with you.
1: Yeah. And uh, Mads is another person who's been on the podcast before I was 2022, episode 68. So you can go have a listen to that if you're interested. Um, <laughs> and Just if you don't know, Mads uh, serves in an organization called Edify. And if you want to research more of that, you can go find her website. But briefly to say, she is, I, I think, in such a beautiful way, missionly equipping the church to meet the needs of mental health counseling, uh, in nations really around the world. And you brought out a book called wholeness. Um, and you ran the wholeness conference last year. How was that?
0: Yeah, it was, uh, it was really, I I guess the word that sums it up for me is, is the word I was in awe. Um, you know, I kind of put together this program and then God just did his thing and weaved a tapestry of connections and threads that left most people in awe of just his kind of sovereignty, even in the behind the scenes of how it works. It it, Mm -hmm. it blew me (laughs) up. I
2: felt very
1: small. (laughs) I felt very small. That's probably a good thing. (laughs) Totally. And uh, are you are you looking to do another one this year? Is that on the cards?
0: Um, I think I think when it comes to conferences, uh, bi- yearly is going to be more feasible okay. than every
2: year. Um,
0: I think you know years are going so fast. I don't know if that's just because I'm getting older, but um, <laughs> I think I think we live in a world where so much content is thrown at us, and seldom do we actually find spaces to actually apply content right so i don't want to be another kind of you know one of the you know if i just ran conferences every year i don't think it would actually benefit people Wow, um, I need to actually process and apply mm. um, that's really big for me yeah
1: yeah beautiful thoughts and i think that uh, leads us nicely into sort of the question mm-hmm. i had for you I feel like different people almost have messages that are on their heart. It seems to me like wholeness is a big one for you. And yeah. I just thought, you know, as we head into 2024, what would it look like to have a year that's given to wholeness? So, so really two questions. How do you define wholeness? And why do you yeah. think it's such an important thing for followers of Jesus? And really for everyone, I guess.
0: I think wholeness for me is about having not just a mind, but a heart understanding of your identity from a security perspective in Christ. Um, You know, as we grow in a world that is fallen, what often ends up happening is we find ways to cope and survive, which causes a fragmentation of identity. You know, Mm -hmm. I can be this person in the workplace, but someone completely different in my marriage. Because different spaces can trigger different insecurities, fears, woundedness, traumas, which causes, you know, defense mechanisms, coping strategies of survival. And a lot of people live very fragmented lives because of that. And wholeness is about bringing all these pieces, all these brokennesses back into the presence of Christ and watching him put all that back together Mm. into a place Confidence and peace, despite brokenness still, or, or or kind of scar tissue. That my identity is not in who I am as a mom or a wife. My identity is purely in my position of knowing my relationship to Christ, and mm. and mm. um, and it's it's that visual. How do I,
1: how do I live?
0: the same no matter where I am or who I'm engaging with or what role I am that I'm holding all of those different spaces instead Mm. of that fermented perspective. So for me, that's a lot of what wholeness is. And I think, why is this so important for 2024? Um, I think the the answer is the same whether it's 2023 or 2025. (laughs) Right. Because... A person's coping capacity in life um, is often based on fear of their fragmented parts, if you want to call Mm. it that. Mm. So if I'm in the workplace and I believe that my value is based on performance, well, then I'm going to live under the whip. And I'm probably going to live with a lot of anxiety (laughs) and it's going to impact how I approach work um I actually counseled a woman this morning who was in tears over a bad performance review because in her mind that's not who she is or the mm-hmm. that she needs to maintain. And so I see these subtleties coming out in in anxiety and stress and distress, where people are trying to maintain or manage their fragmented pieces in all these different spaces, and it just leads to exhaustion. Right. Anxiety, and then depression, Um, and people are not living in peace and contentment. Mm. And I I think if if we could find ways to pull all of those pieces back together and our position is before Christ, Mm. can I find contentment there? And from that position, I'm moving to everything else.
1: A few things I'd love to just pull on there. Um, I think there's the world, society, culture, Offers us a lot of ki- kinds of wholeness, uh, I guess, yeah. like remedies to heal the sickness, if you will. But yeah. when I look at a lot of those stories, um, you mentioned the word manage, managing yeah. your brokenness. A lot yeah. of it feels like like management, like almost like you've got rising damp in the wall, and instead of dealing yeah. with the rising damp, you just paint a fresh coat over. So, so yeah. maybe push a little bit into that. How is wholeness in Christ fundamentally different? from just yep. managing our brokenness?
0: Yep. Well, I I think anything in creation that I turn to, to almost be an antidote to my brokenness becomes an anxiety-easing drug. Um, it really is just polyfiller to the crack, mm-hmm. you know, because if my foundation in Christ is not secure, anything built on an unstable foundation will result in cracks, But if I deal with the crack by just applying polyfiller, which is Mm -hmm. the mask on the pretenses, Mm -hmm. well, the next time another storm hits and the foundations become wobbly again, new cracks will appear in the old polyfiller. And when we spend our lives trying to maintain a facade, which is what the cracks are and covering the cracks, that facade will lead to more exhausting living, which is... I think one of the key drives to a lot of mental health issues, because it's exhausting trying mm-hmm. to maintain that. And at the same time, we live in a world that speaks into a culture of performance.
2: Right. Well, the
0: education system grades you, the business sector evaluates you, the sporting world ranks you, and social media likes you, and the list could go <laughs> on. Yeah. And so it all feeds this culture of, you know, performance and success equals status and value. Wow. So, what happens if you fail mm. and you're not achieving and you get demoted or you get retrenched or you get rejected or you get hooked by an addiction again? And this living this facade and this performance kind of drive it's just not sustainable long-term. And I'm seeing more and more people actually pendulum swinging from what I call a performance-driven identity to an avoidance-driven identity.
1: Mm.
0: Because I can't fail if I don't even try. Right. Or if I just get out of here. Right. Short-term, they think that's the solution. But long-term, if you're just avoiding everything, well, that's still a failure
2: long-term. Right, yeah.
0: And both of those identities are underpinned by the same lie. And the lie is universal. And the lie is is that your value is based on what you do,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: which is that performance drive, you know. Yeah. And ideally, your value needs to be not in what I call the furnishings of your home, but the foundations. Right. Who am I in Christ? Period. (laughs)
1: Right.
0: Well, right, value and trust in the story. Whether I'm succeeding or fa- or failing is irrelevant. And so I actually want to do a study on Paul slash Saul. How did how did Paul process the behavior of Saul mm. when he was executing believers? H- how did he process that regret or the remorse mm. of those you know actions without mm. the
2: accuser?
0: belittling or shaming him
2: Hmm. how can you
0: be an apostle of god when you were executing the very people that were followers of christ i mean how did he you know was that the wretched man he spoke about right right yeah you know and this is what i hear people struggle with their wretched man and they deny it or they anesthetize it or they want to promote it or they want to mask it or they want to perform it out of them or do anything to avoid actually facing their wretched man because there's deep shame there. But Paul claimed it. Mm. I don't think he felt shame with it because he knew that the wretched man pointed him straight to Jesus. Who can save me from this body of death? The answer is Christ. Right. And when you hold, not identity-wise, but when you hold with a a sense of, um, what's the word, like just awareness of our fallen nature, our wretched man always points us to needing a savior.
2: Right.
0: It diminishes pride. Yeah. It keeps us humble. It keeps us needing Christ because without it, wretched man will just take over again.
2: Right, right. And
0: I think this is part of the... While we need to positionally keep coming back to Jesus. Yeah. It's not about performance. It's not even about avoidance. Um, we need to humbly face why we need a savior, look at our wretched man honestly, and keep going back to Jesus. Um mm. I felt like I got a bit detoured
1: there, but these no, are no beautiful thoughts.
0: And, and tensions I see all the time in the counselling room in the heart of people. These are some of the kind of narratives I speak a lot into in the counselling rooms, as people wrestle with these what I call complexities.
1: Yeah, I think what I'm what I'm loving and what I'm hearing you say, I'd love to kind of riff on it a little bit. Is um, so you've got this performance narrative, you've got this avoidance narrative. Both of these things are rooted in a sense of the self which is yeah. uh, built on a fragile ground. So who yeah. I am is is what I do or don't do. I think if yeah. I, if I devil's advocated for a little bit and someone's maybe listening to this conversation and saying, yeah. okay, but how is Jesus different to that? Why is Jesus not just polyfiller yeah. over a crack? How are, are you not just medicating with religion? Um, yeah. And I think you're saying, no, no, no. Jesus is something fundamentally different altogether uh, yeah. because uh, we're not medicating our brokenness. In fact, we're bringing our brokenness wide out into the light. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, not only as a practitioner, but also personally in your journey, how have you experienced that difference? Like experientially, what is it? How is it different in terms of your coping mechanisms that you've gone to in life versus yeah. bringing your pain to Jesus? How has that been a different experience? And and what would you say maybe to the skeptic who's listening into this going, why is Jesus not just polyfiller you know?
0: Completely. Well, you said, you know, the, the phrase I heard you say there is kind of, you know, is it is it not just religion and another polyfiller? And I think there's a big difference between religion and relationship. You know, religion for me again goes back to performance. I'm still earning a ranking. <laughs> right. You know, I'm keeping all of these commands. It's it's versus relationship, you know, Jesus knits us together in our mother's womb. He he knows us so intimately well. um, And he knows, because he wrote about us even before we were conceived, he knows how we best operate. Mm -hmm. But he also understands the detours we've taken as we've journeyed through the brokenness of life. Um, And it's like, if I had to drop my cell phone in the middle of a desert and some, you know, person who's never seen a piece of technology picks it up and they figure out that there's a torch on the end of it. They, they're going to think, well, that's the only way you use this phone. It's got a torch. Right. And that's kind of like the detour of this phone landing in a foreign place picked up by somebody who doesn't quite understand the fullness and the capacity of what this thing can do, but it lives a very limited life of only being a torch. And then I'd use that torch religiously perfectly versus I meet the creator of this. relationally it explains the the, the the fundamental capacity that I have, but because it got broken and dropped, it needs repair. And what I've experienced, I mean even even at the end of um, I think it was March last year, or the year before, years blurring now um <laughs> I was preaching at an event. And um, in the middle of the worship, there was a spontaneous worship song. And I felt like, you know, kind of like in Star Trek, the beam of light came down over me. It felt like one of those moments. And I started started sobbing through this worship song and God was sort of ministering to me and it felt like he was peeling scar tissue off my heart. And then I had to preach and it was, are are you kidding me? Like I can barely hold it together. (laughs) But for two weeks after that, I could not stop crying. Wow. I would wake up in tears, i go to bed in tears, I would pray for grace over dinner in tears. I mean, it got to the point where my husband's like, seriously, what's <laughs> the yeah. matter? And I, I phone a friend and I said, like, this is like this is seriously weird. Like, I'm I'm not generally a crier. <laughs> okay. Right. And I'm like, I just can't stop crying. And so we we kind of just got together the two of us, and we we kind of did a like a, a, a Counseling prayer journey, and and God revealed something inside of me. And it really was a scar tissue because, you know, the longer you've journeyed with God, it's they're they're not big breaks anymore to deal with. But sometimes there's scar tissue that causes restrictions, even in relationships. And and He he shone a light on scar tissue that I had found a way of coping with, but it was still hindering friendships and hindering relationships. Mm. And He healed it. Mm. and that's the difference between religion and relationship you know he brought it to my attention because he wanted me to live in what i call the fullness of what my capacity is what he originally designed me for right but injury and woundedness and traumas and brokenness of the world hindered Mm. religion can't do that for you relationship can yes and a god Who not only died for you, but created you, wrote about you, knows, knit you together, knows how you best operate, wants you to live in that kind of fullness. And I think most believers are still limping. Yes. Because they're not actually bringing those broken pieces to God. They're not actually allowing God to be a healer. He's not just a a savior. He's a healer. He's a restorer. Mm -hmm. And again, that goes back to wholeness. Am I living in wholeness? And I think when you, in what I call liberated living, it's kind of like cycling. You know, when you get into the slipstream of of a race, (laughs) you can be going uphill or downhill, but there's this kind of extra wind that sucks you along the journey that just leads to liberation. Um, And I'm going, imagine if every believer got into that slipstream of their identity in Christ. And started living according to their intentional design not the defaulted broken distortions but really understood because of relationship yes and i think we changed the world overnight. not
1: And I, th- I think what I'm, again, what I'm hearing, which I so appreciate is um, although so much of your work is using the mechanisms of psychology and counseling and all these kinds of things, you're not ultimately speaking about something that leads to a system. You're speaking about something that leads to a person. And I think that's an important, really, even as Christian people, or even as seeking people or even as unbelieving people, when we come to the things of faith, I think sometimes we put it in the same category as a life hack. <laughs> yeah. we, you know what? We put yeah. it in the same category as a system or a strategy in, in terms of something we control. But what yeah. you're pointing to is that, you know, all of that is well and good, but in the Christian story, we're not coming to a system. We're coming to a person and that person supernaturally has the means to form us into our, the the wholeness and the very best version of ourselves. And so, I just didn't want to miss that because even that, if you're listening to this, even that is a faith step that I think you need to acknowledge is that in this whole journey, you're not, this is not something that you earn and control and that you can manage. This is actually a, a surrender into relationship with the person. Does that resonate with you at all,
0: Mance? 100%. And I think the reason why as human beings we prefer systems goes back to what we inherited in the garden and the fall that we were never meant to possess. And that is knowledge. Yeah. So we inherited the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of this fruit, you can become like God. Well, I like a system because then I'm in control. Yes. yeah. God, I like religion because I've got a ladder to climb. I'm in control. I can determine what is right and wrong. What is good and evil versus religion, I mean, versus relationship and savior, it's one of surrender. It's one of I'm no longer God, he is. I'm mm-hmm. no longer alone, he is. But knowledge creates power and control. And we don't want to give up power and control, which is why there's this constant fight between religion and relationship or system and savior. It's that, that, that surrendered posture of you know better than I do because you made me, you knit me, you know what I was best designed for versus not, I've got this, give me a system, you yeah. know, I want the best version of myself. Yes. It's impossible. And so, yeah, it definitely resonates with me. And as human beings, we don't like being powerless and out of control. Mm. Mm. And that's the curse of knowledge, you know. <laughs> mm. I know better but that's pride isn't it yeah,
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: and when we understand the world that that knowledge that we've inherited creates in us and we learn to let it go and it's really hard
1: totally <laughs> because
0: yeah. wanna to be in control we think we know better yeah it's 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 a posture that we have to constantly come back to of surrender mm. letting go
1: yeah I think uh, uh, Trevor Hudson uses this phrase um, the other last year, sometime. He said, um, In our formation, we must always try and avoid spiritual technology. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's such a cool thought. Hey, like he's he yeah. just said, we really got to be careful about packaging discipleship methodologies that yeah. then try to become a one size fits all system where our yes. allegiance is to that system rather than recognizing that our discipleship and our formation is unto surrender, not control. And then, you you know, you said another thing which I really was interested. You talked a lot about bringing our brokenness to this this person, Jesus. Now, of course, that assumes that this person, this God we're talking about, is someone that we can trust our brokenness with. Uh, Mm -hmm. It it assumes, um, when you talk about identity, it assumes a God who loves us, who makes room for us, who's not intimidated by our brokenness, who doesn't push us away in our... Um, maybe speak a little bit about that, because I think it's one step to acknowledge when we're dealing mm. with a God here. I think it's yeah. another step to acknowledge the kind of God we're dealing with. Um, yeah. And so how has that helped you in your journey?
0: You know, it's. I think one of the things as human beings we want is a quick fix. So give me every insight and understanding and blessing and gift from God immediately before I trust in him. Um, and relationship dynamics don't work like that. You know, there's no quick fix to any long-term relationship. Otherwise it's just another anxiety easing kind of drug. Um, and I think with God, we often do take this very quick kind of ATM approach with him, mm. you know, in sections, like I prayed once nothing happens. So therefore God doesn't exist yeah. does Um, yeah. And in the same well, same way is that you can't push a dumbbell once and suddenly you've got a bicep. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. the same with relationship with God, um, and I think for me, it's 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 more about the more I've read God's word, the more I spend time in worship, the more I spend time in community with other people, and you can hear there's so many facets to growth, right? Um, same as as marriage, you know, getting to the to the altar and saying "I do" doesn't make a great marriage. That just that just means you are married,
1: right? Right. Yeah.
0: Now, now you have to go on date nights, and you've got to do DIY jobs together, and fill in admin forms, and and go through the the kind of tasks of life together. Yes. Um, and and I think in the same context, this is why for me it's not just about religion; it has to go back to the concept of relationship. Like I don't. I don't believe in just prayer, because prayer is like it, it's it's a moment in my day that I do before grace or when I get into bed, whatever it is. I believe in communication. Mm, mm. I feel like my conversation with God is a is a never ending prayer conversation. Yes, right. there's moments, intentional. You know, I sometimes say to my husband, like, "You and I need to talk." You know, you can any <laughs> <laughs> soft <Stop> praying? No. <laughs> But it's like, we're talking all the time.
1: Yes.
0: Conversation, same with God. It, it's, it's when you constantly inviting him into a conversation. And I've just started a read your Bible in a year journey. And the, the girl that's, that's, that's running it or leading it, she talks about when you read through scripture, don't look for yourself in it. Look for God. Mm. Look for mm. God in every verse, every page. And I think, again, we're so self-consumed. They were not looking for God. It's like, well, what's in it for me mm. versus who are you? And so it's that partnership, it's that relationship. And I think you can hear the themes coming through again of yes. this is not another consumerism. And I think when 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 Jesus first made an impact on my life, there, there was a definite like a knocking on my door and I responded. Um, and if I had to take a zoom out and look at the trajectory of that relationship, it has many ups and downs. Times where I'm sidetracked and detour. Times where I'm on my knees pursuing him. Um, same with marriage. You know, there's times where you just get apathetic and you don't put effort, and then there's a disconnect, and then you get back on your knees, and you put. It's just exactly the same. Um, and I think it's it's a it's about just being real. It's being honest. Um, and, and just inviting and, yeah, a posture of, of kind of, again, invitation and surrender. Um, and the more I've done that, the more he's blown my mind mm. in terms of how well he actually knows me.
1: Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And you're not going to figure that out on day one. Well, you may mm. do. Sometimes God does these massive interventions in people's lives, but sometimes it's just a journey. Um. But if you want to go deeper, just like in a marriage, if you want to go deeper, then you're going to pursue and you're going to push in. Same with God. Yeah. Uh, And then he starts to blow your mind (laughs) with how well he knows you.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And that's been my experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Love that. And so just to bring all these thoughts together before we move on to another piece I'd like to discuss is, I think really what we're saying here. Number one is that wholeness is possible, uh, that we don't we don't have to live our lives limping. We don't have to yeah. just kind of surrender to that as an inevitable. We can enter into wholeness, but wholeness doesn't come through a life hack. It comes through a person, and his yeah. name is Jesus. and so the to the degree that we uh, surrender into friendship with that person is to the degree that that person can then form us into, into our whole self and there's a lot of pathways and pieces that are part of that and some of that is counseling some of this therapy and all the different things but ultimately our trust is not in the tools or mechanisms our trust is in the person on the other side of those things do you think that sums up some of what we've been saying here
0: beautiful you're a really good listener
1: Then I'd like to maybe, and I don't know how you can answer this, so tell me if it's not an answerable question, but what I'm interested in is you you work with, uh, I mean, ministry leaders, you work with followers of Jesus in so many different walks of life. Yeah. I'm really wondering as we look back over 2023, as we look forward to 2024, are there maybe some sort of key red flags that you're finding to be quite consistent in the in the lives of different people that are maybe uh, ubiquitous, maybe kind of flowing in the waters of our culture at the moment that it would help us just to pay attention to that would threaten yeah. our wholeness.
0: Totally. The first big one is wariness. Yeah. It's the month of January. Today was my first official day at work and I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've done nothing for the last two weeks and I'm still tired. I don't know if it's because I'm just unfit for work, But 2023 was named the year of chronic fatigue. Wow. Um, And that's not going to just go away, you know. And I think it's it's the awareness. Again, you can't fix what you haven't defined. So if we are aware of of draining spaces, what's causing fatigue in me? What do I do in my day that literally kind of, feels like the biggest hole in my bucket. What am I doing in my day that 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 it feels like a host pup to my bucket? Um and I think if people become more um in tune with what fills them up and what drains them. Healthy boundaries. What am I saying yes to? What am I saying no to? I was I was at the end of last year I was asked if I would consider joining the board as a of ethics to one of the kind of counseling groups in, in South Africa. And it's, it's an incredible invitation. And the more I said to them, let me, my instinct in the past would be go. Yeah, cool. I'd love to right. put that on my resume. Right. right, right. I said to her, Can I pray? Can I pray about this and get back to you? And the the answer I knew already, my spirit was a resounding no. Wow because I know what I'm called to do. And that's, I feel is to serve the churches in our country. And this is not falling in that bracket. Mm. And I think too many people are wary because they haven't got clarity to calling purpose, what it is that they're doing. And again, often we just go, oh, well, that's super spiritualized, you know, the term calling and purpose, because our work as a hairdresser, how do I have calling and purpose in there? Well, No, you're just gifted with tools to, to be able to do people's hair that most pastors won't get access to. You can have calling them, that you know.
2: Totally, Um,
0: and I think if we can just get clear with our yeses and our no's, what is mine to own, what is not mine to own, what what am I called to, what am I not called to, and I think a lot of people are living lives distracted, um, and they're living lives that are divided. And they're caught up in in kind of all sorts of division and diversities that that's that's draining,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and adding to the weariness. You know, one of the things I spoke at the car, at the conference is is weights, worries, and weariness. You know, what are the weights that we're carrying that don't belong to us? What are the worries that I'm living under that are causing major anxieties? And and all of those things are then fueling weariness. And Scripture mm-hmm. says very clearly, drop off weights don't worry and don't become wary.
2: Wow.
0: Well, I've got to proactively own those spaces if I'm not going to live with weights and worries and then ultimately end up in weariness.
2: Mm.
0: And One of the things that I'm passionate about, especially for those in ministry or calling specifically, is how do we safeguard longevity of calling? Because statistics say, and I know these statistics are American, but they say one in 10 will actually finish the journey of calling yeah so how do we safeguard longevity um but that means i've got to manage my now yes so if i'm ending if i'm starting 2023 and i mean i found out that they called the year of 2023 the year of chronic fatigue i found that out in march last year
1: wow wow already gosh already
0: wow so what are they going to be 2024 the year of chronic (laughs) but nothing left (laughs) (laughs) yeah we have to manage that
1: yes and i think there's there's. sorry do you want to finish that thought yeah um two things that stand out again there for me uh number one you've spoken about clarity so having a sense of your why in the words of Simon Sinek, right? Like getting getting a clear why. But the other thing that strikes me is that it comes all the way back to the identity piece you already spoke about. Because if that's unresolved in me, then yeah. the, the degree to which I'll be tempted to run after many things to secure mm-hmm. that identity piece will be greater. And so it actually takes, there's got to be a settledness in my identity for me to have the freedom to say no to even yes. good things.
0: Yeah. I'm back to performance again
1: yes yeah, yeah yeah so even in your example you know someone asked you to be on this board that's an honoring thing it's an influential space no doubt that's an identity check for you and if you didn't have not only clarity on work and calling but but security in your own identity the temptation to define yeah. yourself by that thing is so much stronger
0: Totally. yeah 100 yeah yeah and i think when we go back to performance these become the hooks if my identity is rooted in performance, then these hooks will catch me. And I think that's why so many people kind of stop these curves of, of, of of kind of running or sprinting in life. And then they get to a place where it's just not sustainable and they crash. Mm. Mm. And that's where they pendulum swing into this avoidance of like going, I can't do anything. And they just check out of everything and pastors bail out ministry leaders. They just, they just, run ragged Mm. um because also if i say no and you are offended by my no and reject me what does that mean about me relationally Mm. right you wanted to do this podcast with me last week but i knew my tank was still low totally yeah it would be very easy to just say yes to everything and then we become yeah, we, I think we start to live unwisely and and to maintain that becomes exhausting. Mm. Uh, and that's where we've got to find the wisdom. And that's what I love about Jesus. I mean, <laughs> I often say to, to pastors or, or anybody, you know, how many people did Jesus heal at the pool of Bethesda? Because we know that was a place where sick people congregated and he only healed one. Right. That's so liberating for me. That should be (laughs) for anybody in the helping profession, because often we allow need to dictate my yes. Come on, yeah. And that that leads to exhaustion. Mm. And again, that's the tension. Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. But I think the enemy is telling us to do a lot of things, too, because he knows that if he can't stop you from becoming a Christ follower, his next tool is to make you, is to distract you or to destroy you or to exhaust you.
1: Right, right.
0: Make you ineffective. So if he can burn you out, then he's won. Mm. So, of course, I'm going to say heal everyone because that's what Jesus would do. Yes, Jesus wants everyone healed, but he also only listens to the Father.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, if I'm listening to the need, I'm going to get burnt out.
1: Totally. And I feel like you know God's working on such a bigger um, canvas than we can imagine. I always think about the beautiful gate, you know, where mm. where where that man is healed, with a, uh, Peter and the guys heal that 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 yeah. um, lame person. But if you think about it, that was a very busy gate, and Jesus would have walked past that gate. And it's highly likely that that lame man would have been there at the gate when Jesus was walking past. And yet he doesn't heal him in that moment. And then later on, he gets healed by the disciples, which is all connected in this massive tapestry that God's busy unfolding. But you wouldn't have known that, you know, from your vantage point. We know that now with 2000 years, but you wouldn't have known that in the midst. And I think sometimes it's like that. We sometimes almost develop a little bit of a Messiah complex or like, I have to do everything. And we're trying Mm. to fill in the gaps for God instead of just trusting that if I'm just faithful to the small thing he calls me to, somebody's going to knit that together into the whole big story, you know. 100%. 100%.
0: Which means then I don't become weary in doing good.
1: I wonder, are there any other things? So we've got weariness, anything else that stands out?
0: I think weights and worries. Um, uh, when, when I spoke at the conference, I don't have a, a bottle of water here, but I'll just pick up my half empty cup of coffee. Yeah. That's now asking. Okay. This is not heavy right now.
1: Yeah.
0: i carrying on holding it like this throughout this conversation, it's going to get heavier and heavier and heavier. And that's the problem with weights is that we pick up little things and in the moment they're not heavy but over time it starts to cause this kind of strain um and i think people need to and that's part of those little fine tunings of the yeses and the noes where do i say yes where do i say no what's wise? and we think oh but it's just it's it's a little thing i can just do this it's a little thing i can just do it but over time that starts to become what drains us it's because we're carrying so many little things that do not belong to us, right? But sometimes stepping back, and again, when you go back from if my identities in Christ are not in performance, it gives me better clarity on my yeses and my nos, and why am I taking this on versus not taking this on. So, how is it informing my yes and my no? It's going to give me more accuracy around my boundaries. So instead of just being a machine gun and just kind of firing and everything, I now become a bow and arrow. I become very accurate at the targets that, I, that I'm involved in. And that, again, just leads to carrying less weight, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And if people just took some of the time to step back and reassess, like, what are my visions or goals for this year? Invite Jesus into that conversation. um. It will, yeah. I think it really, really helps with us finding discernment around what we say yes or no to. But I find that, you know, the difference between a, a twenty million rand mansion and a twenty thousand rand shack is the boundary around it, and the boundary determines what it's protecting, the value of what it's protecting. You know, mm. thousand rand shack ain't going to have much of a security system or a fencing system right. but a 20 million grand house will right. why because protecting something of greater value when you know your value your boundary becomes more stronger
1: wow
0: wow clear, all, all well defined versus an amoeba that just absorbs and becomes whatever others want me to become
2: mm, 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 mm.
0: Again, that just leads to exhaustion because and it leads to bitterness long term because people get really, really angry. I've counted a lot of people who are bitter because of being taken advantage of. But I'm like, you allowed yourself to be a taken advantage of because you never said no, you never put in boundaries. Right. Then it becomes a different kind of anger, then it becomes almost like a, an internal grief. Mm. I allowed this to happen. Um, So yeah, weights is a really interesting dynamic because it's it, it's intertwined with security of identity, <laughs> excuse me, and clarity and 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 coring, mm-hmm. and and and.
1: And even that, there's such a humility piece in there, which pushes against the cultural narrative, because so much of the sort of popular story in the in the life hack and self help space is, "and you've got this, like win the day, crush it, more, you know, hustle." Uh, so much of it is that narrative. There's not a humility to understand uh, your mm. limitations. Um, mm. You know, I think uh, the one um, or uh, Pete Gazzero he talks about part of God's calling for your life is not only in what he in what he has made you, but also in what he hasn't made you to be. Mm. You know, and so understanding your limitations is also part of what it means to enter into your wholeness. But there's a humility that needs to be embraced there, where we're okay to say. You know, maybe so and so does have that level of capacity to do that kind of stuff, but I don't, <laughs> and that's part of who God's made me in the world. You know.
0: When I spoke at a, at a pastors' conference uh, last year, I said, to, you know, one of the things I said is stay in your lane. Yeah. Yeah. You no. Know, if you're an RBR, then you're a visionary leader, but don't try and counsel people because you'll suck at it. Right. You know. My eye really sucks at hearing, but my ear is very good at it. And, and I don't see my eye and my ear competing over each other's roles. They stay <laughs> in their lane. It's very clear about that. You know, the eye cannot say to the ear, I don't need you. Mm. And what good the whole body be if it were a hand, you know, <laughs> it wouldn't function. And I think what we try and do is, like you say, we, we, we want to be everything for everybody, which leads to more exhaustion. You can't. Mm. Stay in your lane. Be the part that God created to be, and then surround yourself with complementary parts.
1: Right, right.
0: And from a from a church leadership and from a church model, but I mean, God's genius in terms of how He created the church. The, the church is made up of many parts, and if each part does its own special role, then it is healthy and functioning. Mm. Um, but we, we get competitive over parts and then we get offended by parts if a part let me down. You know, I don't I don't cut off my ankle and and cancel it if yeah. it's <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: We see that in communities. It's like, oh, I can't believe that. But, but no, they're a part, which means in isolation they're fallible. But in the body, they're whole. <laughs> Uh, and so we've even got to take this concept of wholeness to understand that I'm just a part of a whole.
1: Very good. Very good.
0: And wholeness only fully comes into functioning when I'm part of the whole, which is wow. the body of Christ.
1: Wow. Again, such, thought- a, such a helpful critique there on um, not everywhere in the world, but maybe in the more sort of Western individualistic cultures of so much of mm-hmm. our win, our success, our uh, success, uh, wholeness even as we've been speaking now i've been predominantly processing that through an individual filter but what okay. you've just pointed to is that actually when you're thinking about the year ahead and leaning into a year of wholeness if you're not thinking in terms of community you probably haven't understood what wholeness is
0: 100 yeah. percent. i mean a really simple example um, project exodus that focuses on educating into addiction recovery they've got uh, they bought a Zoom account because they do a lot of Zoom platforms where they can have 10 different Zoom uh, subscriptions under their accounts. But they're only using eight of them. Now, I often need Zoom sessions where they, I can hold more than 100 people. But that means I've got to open up 10 accounts. So, well, I don't want to pay for that. So they gave mm-hmm. me one of yeah. to use. Yeah. But then I've got another one mine who's even smaller than me But she every now and then needs a Zoom account where it could have, you know, more than 100 people. So I'm like, well, then just log on to my, you know, and it's like, it's the smallest thing. But this is where one body part is looking after another body part because it's for the benefit of the whole.
1: Right, right.
0: It's it's all the ministry of helping and healing and and empowering and educating from a Christian psychological perspective. we all got different The dynamics in that space, but we're using one Zoom platform to honor each other Mm. in in a creative way. Beautiful. And we're all self employed. And I'm just like, imagine if more people did that. Going, hey, I've got excess here. Let me give you that because it's just going to go to waste over here. I don't really need all of it, but it'll save you financially. There. Right, right. That's that's kingdom thinking, and and wholeness thinking
1: yeah 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 and I think again again and again again it's so interesting how this conversation keeps coming back to that same place it's like man if there's a security in you who you are what you're called to be in the earth you're not going to enter into that kind of competitive spirit that leaves you ultimately so weary and so because you you know you're running for some elusive prize where you have to win and everybody else is your competition and so again as we're thinking about wholeness in the new year it's like well how do you reframe goals visions, dreams within the context of collaboration and community and absence of competition. And I think that's really healthy. 100%,
0: it's exciting.
1: (laughs) What a cool thought. Um, I'm wondering, as we kind of bring this conversation to a close, anything else that stands out that you wouldn't want us to miss with thinking about wholeness into the new year? Anything you haven't said that you think would be important to say?
0: Um, well, I'm bringing out a new book. Yes, this is the tell first us. Speaking about it on any kind of platform. I haven't haven't said, shared anything yet, so this is an exclusive.
2: <laughs> come on,
0: come on. So I uh, actually, at the end of last year, I had put time aside to write a book and the book that I was planning on writing, I didn't write, um, God literally gave me a whole nother book and it downloaded in six days. I wrote it in six days. Wow. Um, and it's one of those where it still blows my mind how it happened. So it's called the mental mindsets of Mary, Martha, and me tensions, tales, and truths at the feet of Jesus. And, um, unpack the story of Mary and Martha from a psychological and a theological perspective, but I kind of look into the concept of behavior tells a story and I find it fascinating. The behavior differences of these two sisters, you've got one who blows a complete head gasket Mm. and challenges Jesus publicly belittles her sister. uh, And she's got all these internal narratives of you don't care. She's not helping me. All of this kind of messiness, and I unpack that from a psychological perspective, going, you know if behavior tells a story, what is the story it's telling us? Wow. It was a potentially a performance-driven identity in her that loved her gifting of hospitality, but was threatened to some degree of maybe failing in it mm. And often we just go, you know we want to compare the gift of hospitality and servant-heartedness with rest sitting in the in the presence of Jesus and kind of go which one's right which one's wrong both are needed the scripture talks into both postures all the time so we can't pit one against the other but if it's from a posture of performance then we want to go into the mindset of hospitality is better than rest you know work is better than doing nothing and and we want a power struggle and we want to control which is all the behavior we see in Martha. Versus Mary, who was who was breaking ground because she positioned herself in a place that from a cultural perspective, she didn't belong in.
2: Mm.
0: So to position herself at the feet of Jesus in a man's world where men sat at the feet of disciples, not women, was incredibly bold and brave. And Jesus affirms her position and she didn't need to defend herself or justify herself. She she stayed in a posture of peace, even though it was a pressurized place that she was in. And it's interesting because later when Jesus come back and actually Martha, I mean, Mary anoints his feet with, with oil, it says that Martha was preparing a meal. But this time she was content in that position. Why? Wow. Wow because it was no longer a performance position. She knew her identity in Christ. When you know your identity in Christ, you operate in your gifting because you love it, not because it's feeding your performance.
1: Right, right, yeah.
0: You don't get threatened by the ups and downs of your position mm. because it's relevant to your position in Christ. And so, yeah, so the the book is kind of unpacking that, and it's predominantly aimed at women. And then I kind of look at the the last uh, six chapters is what does it mean to be a daughter, um, a single, um, a friend, a wife, a mother, and then a daughter of the king. So I'm looking at the different stages and postures that women find themselves in that often end up shifting into a performance or an avoidance-driven identity versus what does it mean to just know your posture as a mother? But also as a daughter of a king, as a wife, but as a daughter as of a king. So it kind of just looks at the roles that women find themselves in, because I do a lot of women's conferences, and often I get women going. I need something to hold on to. I need I need some healthy way to process my status or my my position or just my authority, you know, as a woman and and the roles I play. And so, yeah, it's um, it was a download from God, and um yeah hopefully it'll be out in the next month
1: wonderful man well we will have to have you back on you can tell us more about it we can have a full-on discussion about it all
0: would love to would love so, to. so so good
1: mads thank you so much for your time really appreciate you and i'm sure a lot of these thoughts are going to help people move into a new year that's all for this episode of the follower podcast If you found this helpful, please consider liking, sharing, subscribing, and leaving a review on the podcast. It it helps us get these conversations in other people's ears. You can also give a one-off donation or ongoing monthly support to make more conversations like this possible by visiting www.wearefollower.com. Until next time, friends, may you follow Jesus to the depths of his heart and to the ends of the earth.